Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time now for the balloon party on the Tim McKernan podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yes, yes. Welcome in. It's Balloon Party 101 ESPN. My name is Timothy Michael McKernan. And standing across from me today, ladies and gentlemen, that is Action Jackson Burkett. And he is going to preview Missouri-Texas A&M taking place tomorrow in College Station. But coming up at 10.15, Chris Kerber is going to talk about the Blues and the Flames. When you can hear the pregame right here on 101 ESPN at 6 p.m. as the Blues begin the homestand tonight. Jackson, the game is in St. Louis. It is not in Alberta. Right, which I just recently learned. That's correct, about 24 hours ago. This is an educational show. Well, friends of the feather, Chris Kerber will be with us at 10. 15 but before we tend to the blues i woke up this morning and i had another venmo from <laughs> one jackson burkett for 20 dollars as jackson's wager on tcu getting 13 13 and a half at what point did you realize you could probably send that venmo over uh right when i think the receiver's name is mccockey mccockney um Lad McConkey, you're talking about? Yeah, uh, when he caught a touchdown and no one was in maybe 25 yards of That's him, right. I was like, ah, I don't know if the I don't know if the Horn Frogs have it tonight. But you know, I'll hold out hope. And then uh, about halftime, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be down twenty dollars. <laughs> How much have you Venmoed to me? Venmoed to me since we've started this thing, where I just I see a big edge, and then you under pressure will agree to bet and just basically just give me twenty bucks. Uh, at this point, I've probably done it. 10 times coming up close to 10 times i've probably gotten it back once or twice so it's it's a loss but it's a it's a sunken cost you know it's just part of doing business cost what a dude term yeah it's a sunken cost i don't know what a sunken cost i'm just an employee listen we just move on from that you know i'm sure the accountant will be creative with it and somehow all of a sudden it'll be uh, profitable uh so uh jackson you know, one of the one of the things that people talk about. Okay, well, th- that was screwed up because TCU didn't belong there. I disagree with that. Not high on TCU. I was prepared if somehow they would have performed a miracle and beaten Georgia to be eating crap this morning from texters and mic drops and so on and so forth. But if you watch college football, is I, I think I watch more college football. I probably watch a lot of NFL too, but a lot of that just has to do with gambling and daily fantasy, right, honestly. Right. Where I'm not, I'm watching the Blues because I love the Blues. I'm watching the Cardinals because I love the Cardinals. But I'm not watching an NFL team with any emotional attachment. And I will, but that's because of gambling. And I'm watching college football because I love college football. And historically, with very few exceptions, going back to where where my memory starts with college football national champions, they don't have a regular season resume like TCU's. And by that, I mean not undefeated up until the Big 12 Conference Championship game, which they were a couple of yards away from winning. 
but you don't have a lot of near-death experiences. And TCU had lots of near-death experiences. And Sonny Dykes, to his credit, and what credit he deserves for getting that team yeah, there, picked 100%. preseason seventh place. And last night, as bad as that was, I don't think that's really, if they play that 100 times, I don't think that happens too often. I think George is much better, but I don't think to that level that happens that often. But he said, yeah, we probably should have lost multiple times. And if that was the case, they would have never been there. But by what they did, they absolutely, from my standpoint, deserve to be there. The issue is, I think you could have, if we're going to reverse engineer this whole thing, made a case that TCU should have been the four seed. Now, why wasn't TCU the four seed? Jackson, would you like to answer the question before I answer it for the audience? See if you can perform the reverse engineering with me. Because of the way Ohio State performed against Michigan? Because they didn't want Ohio State and Michigan to play in the, in the first round. Gotcha. That's what that's what I believe. Now, they didn't say that. I watched the interview with Reese Davis and the head of the committee, and he was asked if that ever came in. He goes, we didn't even discuss it. I'm going, oh, that's, that's impossible. Right. It's impossible. So why, why even just like blatantly make something up. And I understand that from the logic of you don't want to have a rematch, especially for Ohio State, literally playing back-to-back, because you could make a case that now Michigan, which went undefeated, went into Columbus and won, now has to play a team back-to-back games. That is going to be an awfully tall task. It's like you're penalizing Michigan for doing something that very few teams in the country could have done, gone into Ohio State and won in Columbus and really outplayed them in the second half. But that is why TCU was in the spot that they were in. But hey, TCU beat an undefeated Michigan team. Yep. And I think a lot of people probably bet on TCU. And what Jackson and I were discussing, we were discussing this yesterday afternoon like around four. And I think what happens is people see a score, they casually watch it, especially when it's on New Year's Eve and you right. might be hanging out and you go, oh my God, if they could beat Michigan and, and Michigan beat Ohio State and Ohio State really could have or should have beaten Georgia then transitive property applied. Therefore, TCU getting 13.5 points is as close to free money as you can get. But that is why just driving by and looking at the box score or casually watching it from a wagering standpoint, you miss some key things. And four things happen in that TCU-Michigan game beyond questionable calls. Uh, and, and one of them was a pick six, two of them, another pick six, three of them, Michigan inside the five-yard line, not scoring a touchdown, four of them, Michigan inside the five-yard line, not scoring. And then you can get into questionable calls if you want to. Those things don't happen often. And even with those things, Michigan still had the ball with a chance to win the game at the end against TCU, a team that needed to run onto the field and miraculously hit a field goal in Waco, Texas in their second-to-last regular season game. So credit to TCU for winning it, but from the standpoint of what you know about teams winning a national championship in college football, TCU didn't have the DNA. Weird things can happen, and Michigan didn't coach a great game, and Michigan didn't execute a great game, and that's how that wound up happening. Meanwhile, you have the perfect storm colliding over Southern California last night, where Stanley Steamer's building, despite having a roof, had rain coming (laughs) in sideways. So really well done on the $6 billion there. And now you've got Georgia feeling very fortunate that they won against Ohio State, knowing that they didn't play a game, a good game, and people are going, oh, Georgia doesn't belong. And Kirby Smart's got his guys all convinced that people doubt them. And so they are peak motivated because they know they had a near-death experience themselves against Ohio State where they were outplayed and really could have slash should have lost in the semifinals. And so you had the perfect storm of Georgia on the high, perhaps TCU thinking too highly of itself. And once Georgia's offensive line was able to just push TCU's front seven around, it was 
over. It was over. And the one touchdown that TCU did get was on a blown coverage in the secondary. Yep. And seeing that, that's when I hopped online to try to live bet it, but the number didn't correct itself because people go, oh, TCU scored. They're going to be able to move the ball. They didn't move the ball. It was blown oh. coverage in the Georgia secondary, and that's the only reason why TCU was able to do anything. That was an absolute skull pounding. Yeah. Better team, 2019 LSU, 2022 Georgia, go. 2019 LSU. I agree with you. 2019. Oh, I'd love to see the two of them play. Yeah, that would be. I Just just for the record, that's Joe Burrow, uh, Justin Jefferson, and Jamar Chase. Chase. Yeah, and there are other NFLers on there. Clyde Edwards-Helaire. Yeah, a bunch uh, of defensive now just guys. now kind of in hiding with the Chiefs. And uh, Terrace Jefferson, I yeah, think. Yeah, Terrace no, Jefferson. Uh, no, because it's Justin Jefferson. Terrace Marshall. Marshall. Who's Marshall. on the Panthers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they that team, that would be an incredible matchup, and LSU defensively would be matched up really well with them. I, the reason I thought TCU would at least keep it close is because against Michigan, they were maybe winning the battle in the trenches. They looked really good against Michigan. They were hanging with those big guys up at Michigan in the trenches, and against Georgia, man, they couldn't get to Stetson Bennett if they tried. And even when they would, did send the house, he would just roll out and get right past him because he's quick. He His jersey was picture-perfect clean after that, after he came out in the— after the third quarter there. So, it, I mean, it was so evident from the beginning that Georgia was going to be – I mean, they punted on like fourth and five, TCU did, and in three plays they eliminated that punt. In three plays they moved it 35 yards with ease, like on like easy out routes. Like Georgia was in a different world last night. I don't think that if that happens, like you said, 100 times, I don't think it happens like that. The I last think Georgia night, covers 65-plus percent of the time. Right. Yeah, you're probably right. And that, that number, again, kicked off at 13-and-a-half, but yeah. I don't think you see what was – that's not just the biggest deficit in national championship game history. Any bowl game. The history of bowls. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, a celebration of exhibition football for teams winning six games. And it's never been that worse than that. No, and it could have been worse than yeah. that. It truly could have been worse than that. Yeah. Um, so that is now the standard for college football, Georgia. And I went through the box score for when that 2019 LSU team played the 2019 Alabama team. I mentioned Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and Justin Jefferson being on that LSU team. Uh, on the other side... Tua Tagovailoa, yep. quarterback. Yep. Uh, his running back was Najee Harris. <laughs> the wide receivers who caught balls that day. Devontae Smith, Heisman Trophy winner now catching balls from Jalen Hurts, who Tua backed up the year before. Uh, Jerry Judy. Yeah. Uh, Najee Harris had a bunch of receiving yards in addition to rushing yards. And uh, Henry, Henry Ruggs, Ruggs. Uh, who is now an incredibly tragic story, uh, but was in the NFL before the tragic uh, car accident that has put him in jail. In Las Vegas. So it gives you an idea of the gap right. between that right. and that Alabama team, by the way, lost <laughs> yeah, <that's nuts. laughs> to LSU. Uh, so therefore did not win the national championship. And then really everybody else. Now, if you're a Missouri fan or an Illinois fan or a fan of another school, you know, plenty of Indiana graduates sure, in sure. the area, Kansas graduates in the area. Now a lot of SEC graduates, young people are going to SEC schools now and coming back to St. Louis. It just shows you the gap between the factories, truly the blue bloods in college football, yep. uh, Alabama, George LSU, I think, would be considered a blue blood, but they 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 have more peaks and valleys. Yeah, they're a blue blood on the right years, and then some years they're certainly right. not. I'm anxious to see what Brian Kelly does in his in his second year, and we'll see it in Columbia, Missouri, in the, the first week of October. But that is an absolute clinic, and honestly, I, I'm sure some people like I would have rather seen Alabama in there. 
I don't know how you could have justifiably put Alabama in the top four. And the shame of it is, is Alabama lost both of their games on the final play of each game. Field goal to end it in Knoxville against what was a great Tennessee team before Hendon Hooker was hurt. And the two-point conversion that Brian Kelly, to his credit, super ballsy, executed, they win in Baton Rouge. If that two-point conversion is batted down, Alabama is there. Alabama is there. Now, what would you have had? You would have had Georgia. Would they have put Alabama four? Yeah, that's because that that's because Michigan worse. would have been two, and TCU would have been hovering there. And so I think you may have had Georgia with TCU at four. Yeah, because TCU would be coming off the loss to K State and a bunch of near death experiences. Although Alabama had their fair share too with A and M and Texas. Yeah. and you would have had Alabama and Michigan. In that way, you have Alabama or Michigan playing Georgia. The TC, but TCU, they beat Michigan. They deserve, there's, I don't have any of this. They didn't deserve to be there. It just was, from my standpoint, a real obvious, obvious mismatch. And I think we talked about it on the radio. I know we talked about it in the TMA studio later in the afternoon, that this was just a set of circumstances that it struck me it was, was kind of going to be obvious. Yeah. But also, interestingly enough, we were monitoring where the money was, and the money, well, the money was on Georgia, Georgia. but the volume, volume of was bets on was on TCU, TCU, which is another part of the perfect storm. If you're ever looking, go to Action Network. That's where I track this stuff. Right. And that stuff is quite valuable because there are a lot more marks out there than there are sharps. Yeah, and I think, like, with TCU especially, you know, sure, like you can say, they don't deserve to be there. But like you said, they beat Michigan. They beat and, Michigan. That's and, it. And Georgia. And you're not going to put them in the, in the top four? You're right. I don't know how you can't put them in the top four. Yeah. And Georgia had kind of been playing with their food in a lot of games where, like, they just weren't going full Jets. I mean, Mizzou is an obvious example of that. They only did that twice. Kentucky a little bit. Um, and the, But I think that I there's... About that. It was Kent State and Missouri were really the only two. Right. I, Kentucky for a couple quarters. They eventually blew them out. But... Um, Oregon in their first game when they won 49-3, to and then this game was like their ceiling. That's like when they're at their full best. And I think people just recency bias coming off that close one to Ohio State, they realize that Georgia can go another level when they really, really play their best. And last night was a prime example of them playing to their best. The miss, if you bet TCU, was how TCU beat Michigan. That was the miss. It was fluky. And that's what I'm, you know, but hey, they beat an undefeated Michigan team that had high equity in the public's mind because they went into Columbus the last time they saw them and beat Ohio State, which at the time was considered either the best or second best team in the country. But Ohio State had a fluky second half that made Michigan, to their credit, look outstanding. And so people undervalued Ohio State and overvalued Michigan. And that is how uh, people lost money on New Year's Eve. Chris Kerber is going to give us his perspective on the blues and this homestand and where things stand. That's coming up next. You're listening to Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back. Balloon Party 101 ESPN. It is our pleasure to welcome to the program, as is the case every Tuesday here on the show, ladies and gentlemen, the voice of the blues. And you'll hear it tonight right here on 101 ESPN, Blues and Flames, Chris Kerber. Morning, Kerbs. Jim, good morning. How are you? Wonderful, sir. How are you doing? Doing awesome, thanks. Good to be back in St. Louis after the road trip, and what a road trip it was. 3-1 and one and beating the caliber of teams that they beat. Uh, what stands out to you from, from that trip that can potentially carry over into this now long homestand? Well, I, I, I think they, when they had success on that road trip, Tim, they, uh, I mean, it, they, here's a, they lived an entire road trip of hockey cliches. Okay, they... They simplified their game when they played well. They got the puck in deep. 
They crashed the front of the net. Special teams were key, and they stayed out of the box. Like, if, if you, you know, if, if Doug Vaughn on TMA went on one of his cliched hockey rants, he probably would have <laughs> touched upon every single one of the keys to success over this road trip. And when they didn't do it, they didn't do it against a bad Montreal team, and it cost them two points. Yeah. Yeah, that is. You know what? You can sum it up pretty quickly, just just like that. The thing that I, that stands out to me, and I would imagine this was the case for a number of Blues fans. I voiced it myself. You're like, okay, the team's kind of been middling throughout the course of the season. Now Tarasenko and and O'Reilly are out to join Krug, and now you got to go play in Toronto. You got to go play in New Jersey, and then after the, the Saturday game in Montreal, you got to go play in Minnesota. This might be the time where the page starts to turn, and the, and the team starts to turn toward looking to some kind of restructuring the trade deadline and so on and look at the way they responded uh i mean you've seen it from a couple of guys specifically i mean grice specifically on sunday night but brendan sodden and Braden shen have been absolutely incredible over the last week so to their credit they met adversity they faced it head-on a great state a great, great opposition on the road and they certainly overcame it brandon Sod had a very benign i think uh first 25, 28 games of the season. I think in the first 28 games or so, um, had seven goals, three assists, 10 points, and in the last six has seven points. And I, I thought that with those two forwards out in O'Reilly and Tarasenko, Brandon Saad was going to be a real key piece on whether or not this team was going to have success. It wasn't that they needed him to score more. Yet, with those guys out, more goals is going to be helpful. But I I think there just needed to be more impactful play, and he's doing it. Uh, he looks a little bit. He looks like he's skating better. Uh, he's making plays with the puck. So there's some. I, I think his play has been real critical. I think Braden Shen back at center is. And and look, I, over the years that Braden Shen has been here, the Blues have tried have played him at wing at different times because they've been deep. There, I don't. In my opinion, I don't think it's been close in the quality of play you get from Braden Shen when he's a centerman versus a winger. He's just that much better for this team at center. And so putting him back at center and knowing that he's getting some of those O'Reilly caliber matchups, I think has been, has been good for them. And then, you know, then you just put Ivan Barbashev and, and I really don't think the St. Louis blues have another player in the organization like Barbashev, which to me makes him why you're starting to hear his name be a valuable name to be talked about if the trade deadline comes along and the Blues really aren't in it. Or, two, while you're the St. Louis Blues, you might really want to consider re-signing this guy, even if you got to pay him a little more because he's a UFA. And the reality of it is, is I, I think he could end up getting 20 goals again. But if he doesn't and, and he gets you in the area of 15 goals and 40 points, I'm not looking for that 26-goal, 60-point season from him every year. But But if he does that, he can penalty kill. He can play the power play. He can play anywhere in your lineup, up and down. Um, and, you know, maybe Jake Neighbors becomes that next guy like that. Uh, but right now, I don't know that you got anybody else like Ivan Barbashev in this lineup for me. So I, I think that, uh, uh, to me, that, that line has really, really been key. We are at the midpoint of the season. The Blues have played seven fewer home games than they have on the road, although they have played better to date uh, on the road. Now you will get seven straight home games, and it starts with a big week here, back-to-back against the Flames tonight and Thursday night. And the Flames are leading the wild card standings. The Oilers are right there, and the Blues are lurking as well. How would you give the state of the playoff race from the perspective of the St. Louis Blues 
at this point in the season? Well, I'll answer that in a second, but I'm driving down to the rink and I saw a big poster on the side of Chaffetz Arena that said the Judds are coming to perform. I didn't even know they were still performing. And it says final tour. Uh, Jackson, the Judds. That's that's just something I did not think I would be seeing this morning and going, (laughs) I didn't know they were still touring. Sorry. Hey, hey, listen, my ADHD kicked in a little bit on me there. There's nothing wrong Um, with that, sir. I enjoy a good HD uh, non sequitur. Are they performing? I guess they're still performing together. All right. Um, Anywho, well, there'll be a shave at Serena sometime coming up, folks. There's a big banner on the building. Um, The... uh, what was the question? Clip <laughs> that off. <laughs> I was making the observation on the Flames status in the wild card oh, race yeah. and the Blues status in the wild card race and uh, this uh, homestand being the opportunity, especially since they play the Flames in back-to-back games. Your analysis where the Blues fit in. Because I feel like so many texts I get here, Curves, are people going, well, I just don't think they're really good, but yet there they are lurking. In, in the playoff picture. And I guess maybe what people are saying is, I don't think this is a team that has the pieces, especially considering what the injury situation is, to make a deep run. And so that's a bit of the conundrum with the 2022-2023 St. Louis Blues. You know what? Where are they? Who are they? Look, I, I wish... I'm going to say this as a big generality. I wish sports fans actually had a clue. Like, it would actually be... Wouldn't it be great if sports fans actually understood sports... Like, if they actually understood the point of a season, you look at you look at both, like, the Western Conference right now, I, I think whatever eight teams make the playoffs, it's not it shouldn't shock anybody that the eighth seed could win a Stanley Cup. Yeah, it's, it, 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 last year at this time, we would have gone, well, I mean, whoever gets in there, they're going to have to beat Colorado, and there isn't that team lurking there right now. Right. I see what you're saying. No, no that, that's exactly right. But you also play a season's worth of hockey. Okay, you don't play. You know, you don't have. You don't have to know exactly what you have after thirty games. You don't have to try and break down and sit there and say, "Geez, what are they going to be after ten games?" You, you got to play the whole season. And the two thousand nineteen Blues did that. Now, look, I understand that that is more of the anomaly. Okay, but there there is a reality. And the reality of it is, is you just got to find a way to get yourself in, and 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 then you go. And, and this team has met with a bunch of different adversity. I mean, holy cow, they're on. I mean, they called up their 10th defenseman, and this was a guy that, that – so the 10th defenseman on the roster this year is a guy you traded Clint Costin for, you know, with, with the Edmonton Oilers. Like, to me, you just got to relax and enjoy the season a little bit. You've got two great games here against Calgary. Now, you got to make some hay here. So, Calgary, you're right. The, 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 the Flames are sitting four points ahead of you in the standings. So, these two head-to-head games are absolutely enormous. When it comes to trying to, you know, put the squeeze on them. But if the Blues get a win tonight and Colorado were to lose to Florida and they're at home against Florida and the Blues were to get a win tonight, the St. Louis Blues would actually officially take over that second wild card spot. And and that's the journey of the season and that that's the part that happens. So when I say get a club, like, I mean like it just each individual game doesn't make or break you. It re- it really is is the whole thing there. So the key right now is is Playing better on home ice, don't play and relax, playing with desperation, you know, and continuing to build what you've built. I think there's only been three regulation losses in the last 14 games for the Blues. That means you're earning points. It means you're getting wins. Now, it also means you haven't really made up a lot of ground, which is crazy. If you look at the last 15 games, you go back, it'd be 15, uh, uh, 16 games ago now, 
They played the New York Islanders, put seven on them, won the game. They were 11 points out of first place. Since then, they've only lost three games in regulation, and they're 11 points yeah. out of first place. It shows you how hard it is to climb. But, um, I mean, I, I, the standings watching is fun. I just – you you got to just take each one of these battles and enjoy the ride for it. I guess, I guess to, to, I, I'm not playing devil's advocate. I think there's a different set of circumstances. We talked a little about this with Jeremy Rutherford yesterday. You had one UFA in, in 2019. So the whole dance surrounding the turning the page, especially with Doug Armstrong addressing the media during the losing streak in early November, because of O'Reilly's situation, because of Tarasenko's situation. And as you mentioned, now you start to hear a little bit about Barbashev as well with the three UFAs. There may feel like for those who are hardcore fans, a decision needs to be made as to who this team is because Doug Armstrong is going to have to make a decision. So that perhaps is yeah. the, the apples and oranges element of it. What do you think about that part? Well, there, it is, except that this is that inside sports thing I was talking about. Doug Armstrong met with the ownership group in 2019 prior to the turnaround and said, look, we're going to go one of two ways. We're either going to turn this around and we're going to see the team that we thought we had and put together uh, and and be fine, mm-hmm. or we're going to have some decisions to make. And if you go to the year before when they missed the playoffs by the one point on the last day of the season against in that game against Colorado, yep. you go to that. Remember, they traded Paul Stastny yep. at the deadline, and the Blues were just on the, the, the precipice there of a playoff spot. Yeah, yeah. And I think they were one point out at that time and or, or somewhere right in there. And Doug Armstrong just didn't like the feel of the team. And, and in the end, you ended up missing it. Now, you're right. You didn't have a whole lot of roster turnover there, although they chose to in that offseason with the signing of, of Perron, the signing of Bozak, the trade that sent Saboka and Berglund out and brought in O'Reilly. This year, it is a little bit different. There is some angst. And it's not just because you're trying to figure out exactly what does this team have. It's because you're talking about potentially watching three other pieces of what was your Stanley Cup team just a few years ago end up leaving via trade or free agency. So that, that part in and of itself feels very differently. I still believe, look, look I, I believe this firmly. I call, it, I call it situational maturity. And I don't care what the sport is. Cardinals have been dealing with this with young outfielders and, and pitchers. And, right? Youth does not win in sports without some level of better and presence. So if you're going to let O'Reilly go or move him or Tarasenko and Barbashev, and don't forget Mikola is an unrestricted free agent too. That's an interesting one to watch as they try to assess his where he's at in his career. You look at all those, those things to me, Tim, and you're like, okay. So you are clearly turning this over. Braden Shen, Colton Pareko become the, the, the real leaders of this team. And, yes, Justin Falk and, and Letty and Krugan, those guys are still around. But from that cup team, those are your guys with, with Jordan Bennington. But if you're going to rely on a Jake Neighbors or a Zach Bogut comes in, maybe next year. Uh, you've got guys that have to learn the culture of this organization that has been a winning culture over the last 10 years. That, that comes with growing pains. And frankly, what you're seeing this year is some of those growing pains. There was a line change in that last game that would have driven Alexander Steen absolutely batty. <laughs> Okay, follow. I'm on a roll here. Yeah, right. I, I, the audience is enjoying it now. They're now they're buying into a Stanley Cup run. By the way, those are the texts I'm getting. Yeah, that's well. Okay, you don't want to raise expectations too much, but <laughs> but but these are these are the little things. Okay, the Blues are in that second period against Minnesota. I believe it was the second period. 
on the ice with about, oh, a minute and a half to go, maybe a minute and 15 seconds to go, is the Thomas butchnevich Kairu line. They don't really get the puck in deep. Minnesota starts to come up to the blue line. Butchnevich goes to the bench, and he's probably halfway, you know, along the blue line to the bench. But he's not skating hard to the bench for a quick line change. At this point, he kind of glides. Well, that prevents Barbashev from jumping on right away. When Barbashev came over the boards, he's got a haul butt back because Minnesota's entering the blue zone. They've got it just in between the penalty boxes and the blue line. So he's got to get back. At the same time, Cairo turns to go to the bench and similarly doesn't haul butt back to the bench, right? And so that, that, those, that those little things on a slower line change, now those, the guys that came over the board, that conscious line, Shen, Sod, you know, Barbashev, they're all of a sudden defending. They get the puck out of the zone, but it was just a clear to get it out to regroup, and then Minnesota came back in. And they actually were about one second away from a buzzer shot that could have gone in to tie the game. And, and to me, that all happened because the one line didn't put the other line in a good spot with not only when they changed, but how they changed. To me, when you had the veteran nature of Steen, O'Reilly, those guys – those are the little details that they bring to them that are the difference in winning those one-goal games or maybe being tied and a lot more stress. And that, to me, is that situational maturity that the younger guys for this Blues team are still growing through over the course of this season. That is a nice, nuanced observation there from uh, what wound up being a great win. But, yeah, those kinds of things, and you're exactly right, that's the kind of thing that drive a guy like Steen up the wall. Blues and Flames tonight. You can hear Chris Kerber and Joey Vitale right here on 101 ESPN. Pre-game, 6 p.m., Blues and Flames tonight. Blues and Flames on Thursday. And then the Blues and the Lightning coming up on Saturday to start this homestand. Kerbs, always enjoy the visit. Thanks so much for the time, sir. You got it, guys. Have an awesome day. You too. Thanks, That's Chris Kerber with us here on 101 ESPN. And all right, Jackson, I am uh, deep teasing here. Would you like to be teased? I always like to be teased. The NFL and honesty called into question in a thorough report going back to the DeMar Hamlin incident. I'll have that story for you next because I know the NFL and honesty in St. Louis. It's like, oh, no, they're honest. No, I might I might I might open some eyes here with this. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the balloon party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back. 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan with you to the top of the hour. Chris Kerber with us in the previous segment. And if you miss it, you can listen on the Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers Podcast. Kerbs will be on the call. The Blues and Flames tonight with Joey Vitale. 6 p.m. pregame right here on 101 ESPN. Jackson, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the lowest, 10 being the highest, your level of trust in what the NFL says. Go. 1. Nice. Okay. Uh, then you might not be as alarmed <laughs> as others on this story. Uh, Don Vanata Jr., ESPN senior writer, did an in-depth piece on something that, honestly, I wasn't even aware of being a, a source of controversy from last week's DeMar Hamlin situation. And the controversy, little did I know, uh, was that the NFL claims that they never said that the Bengals and Bills were going to go back out there and play. However, Joe Buck and ESPN said that, indeed, uh, that is what they got directly from the league. Wow. 
So, yeah, that's a big difference in opinion right there. That's correct. So Don Van Natta of ESPN did an in-depth piece talking to players, coaches, executives, and here is what he discovered. Quote, The league did not cancel the game. The Bills and the Bengals canceled the game. That's from a team official who asked to not be identified. The Lord himself, I'm quoting, the Lord himself could come down and we were not going to play again. A high-ranking official from one of the teams told ESPN on the condition of his and his team's anonymity. Uh, She, and he's talking about an NFL executive who was on the phone with the headquarters in Manhattan during the time uh, when they were deciding what to do, was getting pressure. She was not getting consistent and direct messaging that she deserved to receive. NFL spokesman Brian McCarthy, who for the record approached me at, uh, this was in San Diego when I was doing my world tour of the Kevin Demoff, Stan Kroenke, uh, Eric Grubman truth tour in 2015 uh, wanted to let me know that he know he knew what I would tweet and my opinion that this was all a you know ruse thank you that's yep. a perfect word for it I mean it was just like I go to every one of these town halls well I listened to the one in St. Louis because I was in LA when that was going on driving from LA to San Diego as a matter of fact and I went to the one in San Diego the one in Oakland and every one Eric Grubman who from my standpoint didn't come off maybe real quote unquote sincere no uh, would say we are going to do everything we can to stay in these markets and then uh, my wife and I actually as we visited all of these different sites and we made our way around the west coast uh, we went to where that game was played last night between Georgia and TCU, and I said, and I still have pictures in my phone, it looks like they're building a stadium here. Now, this was October. The vote still was three months away, but it looked like they were already beginning the process of building a stadium. Either way, probably a coincidence. And Brian McCarthy said to me, he goes, oh, yeah, I follow you on Twitter. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know join the club with a bunch of other creeps. Um, So Brian McCarthy uh, quoted in the article, NFL spokesman Brian McCarthy said Monday that the league would have no further comment. Last week, McCarthy answered some questions about why ESPN's Monday Night Football broadcast initially reported that the teams would resume play after a five-minute warm-up, and he said at the time Troy Vinson and other league officials would not comment. According to Rule 17.1.4 of the NFL Rulebook, the decision to postpone a game because of extraordinary circumstances lies with Roger Goodell. The next day, in a memo to all 32 teams, the commissioner indicated he had made the call. Um, So, why is there controversy? Because Troy Vincent, who used to play... Uh, and he was in a position of power, uh, said, and I was the one that was communicating with the commissioner. We never, frankly, it never crossed our mind to talk about warming up to resume play. That's ridiculous. That's insensitive. And that's not a place that we should be in. Last Wednesday, an indignant Vincent, indignant Vincent, sounded near tears during a news conference as he repeated that the league never intended to resume play. Any other suggestion, he said, is, quote, insensitive, and frankly, it lacked both empathy and compassion for DeMar's situation. Um, now, a league source said, the league screws this ass up because Troy Vincent screws this ass up. That's the wrong person in the wrong position at the absolute wrong time. He wants to be the hero, but he will never take accountability. That's him to a T. 
So if you were watching while that was going on, right. you heard Joe Buck saying that we have been told that they are going to go from the league. Yep. We have been told that they are going to go back out there and play. I don't know what you saw. I don't know what those in the audience saw. I recall seeing Joe Burrow throwing a football. Yep. I recall Stefan Diggs trying to get his team together, Sean McDermott gathering the team together. And it wasn't until Zach Taylor walked across the field, the Bengals head coach, to talk with Sean McDermott, the Bills head coach, that the teams then decided to walk off the field because they did not want to play, which is something that we talked about the morning after that took place last Tuesday. And now, for whatever reason, I'm not sure why, Troy Vincent is the one who has put this in a weird spot. I gather because he doesn't like the optics of making it look like they were considering going back on the field. Right. What do I think happened? I think without question they were planning on going back out on the field until Zach Taylor and Sean McDermott said, we're not playing. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Could not agree more, Tim. Because, why? you know, like Joe, Joe Buck said on the broadcast that we've been told, why would Joe Buck make that like out of thin air? Like that doesn't just come out of thin air. He's got an earpiece in and people talking to him. Well, it's funny that you say that, uh, because at 9.16 p.m., as cameras showed referees huddled with the coaches, Buck told the national TV audience, quote, they've been given five minutes to, quote-unquote, get ready to go back to playing. That's the word we get from the league and the word we get from down on the field. But nobody's moving. Joe Buck's words. Rich Eisen is quoted on this story. And you go, why was Rich Eisen quoted in the story? He was on the Westwood One radio broadcast. Ah, that makes sense. And he said, uh, quote, there was a moment after the ambulance left the field where both teams repaired to their sidelines and appeared to be getting ready to come back out on the field after a five-minute warning. Eisen said he heard the information from watching the ESPN broadcast and not from the league. Quote, I figured if Joe Buck said it, it's got to be true, Eisen said in an interview. I know this goes against what I was taught at Northwestern's Medill School of Journalism about verifying every piece of information, but I was sure Joe had it right. And so everything was cool up until Troy Vincent. And then Troy Vincent said that that was not the case because the league didn't like the optics it was giving off that they were planning on going back out to play. But Joe Buck wasn't making it up. No. There's just no way Joe Buck was making it up. The NFL fumble-effing around with a crucial decision that would have poor optics is 100% on brand. And that is what is being reported by Don Van Nata and ESPN, what was going on, and why Sean McDermott and Zach Taylor were out there, if you go back to the video, outside of the Bills locker room, on the phone with this NFL executive who was on the phone with Troy Vincent and others in Manhattan, and they were trying to get him to play. And then when they didn't want to play that night, they were asking, Asking if the Bills would stay overnight in Cincinnati to play again the next day because they were trying to keep the thing alive because they didn't know how to handle the schedule situation. It's you know, the same thing that Michael Strahan dressed Skip Bayless down about for tweeting. Three tweets after he tweeted about how he couldn't believe what he was seeing with what was going on with DeMar Hamlin. But go and get your likes. So, there it is, Jackson. The NFL not being straight with its audience. Yeah, I figured that story wasn't over when there was that. Originally, I believe like a day or two afterwards, there was a kind of back and forth with ESPN and the NFL saying, no, they were told this. And ESPN saying, no, we were told that. Hey, Joe Buck's just going rogue? Yeah, and so I figured, like, there's got to be another element to the story or we'll hear more about it. And then this is the proof's in the pudding because, like uh, like I said earlier, why would Joe Buck, out of thin air, just say they're going back in five minutes? That's not his call, and it's not someone in ESPN's call. It's obviously the league's call. For the record, uh, Joe Buck got his information from a gentleman by the name of John Perry, who is their uh, officiating expert in the booth with him. 
Uh, Perry declined to comment to ESPN beyond saying the ESPN statement was accurate. Brian McCarthy said the NFL rules analyst in the command center was, quote, adamant that at no time uh, did he say anything related to a five-minute warm-up period to John Perry. John is just plain wrong. McCarthy said we stand by Troy Vincent's comments and strongly refute the characterization. And that's the thing. You know, if you ever watch Goodfellas, you know, you know, you never narc. Yeah. And you're never going to have to worry about getting whacked. And that's part of the deal when you're part of the cartel. Your thoughts are welcome. 314-399-9646. Air Comfort Service text line. Tim McKernan, Jackson Burkett with you. This is Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back. Final segment Balloon Party for January 10th. 2023 text coming in they're coming in fast and furious uh anytime jackson makes a bet with tim i immediately go to FanDuel and place the opposite see georgia minus 13 strategies put food on my kids table it's... jackson you're making people money out there yeah i mean that's that's a good feeling yeah. like i said earlier it's, it's a altruistic sunken, it's a sunken cost you know we'll get over it uh, i will never believe anything the nfl says they are a bunch of liars who only care about money not humanity that is from the six Three, six. Yeah, I don't think any of this happens if Troy Vincent doesn't say anything. Right. It was an un- unprecedented set of circumstances for everyone. But for whatever reason, Troy Vincent is the one who goes out and says, no, Joe Buck wasn't telling the truth. And then the NFL now has to make a choice. Well, we're going to stand by our guy. And I understand that. But in turn, you're now saying that Joe Buck and the people on that broadcast were being dishonest. Right. So, right. hey, make your pick. And and to be honest, I'll with take you, Joe Buck. Right. And to be honest with you, like you know, in hindsight's twenty twenty, but like at the time, if the NFL is just honest about everything, you know, it's under like they don't know what's going on. They don't know the well, what is the bar to cancel a game. Right. We've exactly. seen men rolled off the field. Right. We're going. That person may be paralyzed. Right. There have been incidents where there have been suicides from former players. Many. Yeah. With CTE, games continue on. Right. Uh, you've had Andy Reid's son mm-hmm. and the situation that happened there with the car accident. This game get played. That's that's the thing. So I understand it's a tough spot. Right. And that's why I was so sympathetic just to somebody who's a broadcaster. It's one thing when you have to fill. If you're going, hey, Pang's not available, but he's going to be on in five minutes. I can, okay, I'll fill for five minutes. That's fine. But it's a different thing when you're filling, number one, on Monday Night Football, number two, where somebody might be dying on the field. And number three, you have to monitor every word that comes out of your mouth because you don't want to say something with family watching and something that is unprecedented occurring. So the last thing in that set of circumstances, a broadcaster, especially one of the level of Joe Buck and then Troy Aikman and Susie Kolber, uh, who are handling that situation, are going to do is just go off half-cocked. Yeah. You are going to dot every I and cross every T before you say a word. And if you were watching, and I would imagine 80% of you were when that took place, you know how careful they were. If anything, it was silence for mo- most of that broadcast because they didn't have anything to say because they couldn't. It was a brutal spot that they thought they handled incredibly well. And everything was as fine as it could be. And considering that DeMar Hamlin is now back in Buffalo and he's been released from the hospital in Cincinnati, things are moving in a very positive direction. But at the time, it was a precarious spot. And the last thing you're going to have is somebody who's been broadcasting for 30-plus years with an impeccable reputation make something up. So that is where the controversy comes from. And I appreciate ESPN doing a deep dive into the set of circumstances. Now, playing the other side of it, 
you can make a case. Well, ESPN is reporting on ESPN, and you could have yourself quite a conflict of interest there. Sure. So that needs to be uh, brought to the table for going to have a discussion about it. BK and Ferrari are coming up next for Action Jackson. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been Balloon Party on ESPN. You've been listening to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.